In this first part of this series, we're going to be looking at God's faithfulness. You know, a lot of people are like, okay, so we learned how uh, the false teachers infiltrate, what they look like, how they act, what they, you know, kind of, that was the idea of the portraits of a false teacher, is to us to really see who they are so we can evaluate. But a lot of people ask, you know, well, what, what do we do? What do we do with, with false teachers, and how do we respond to the false teachers? And, and I can imagine that Peter was thinking the same thing when he was, you know, being encouraged by the Holy Spirit to write these words to the church as the church is like, okay, so there's false teachers and they're going to rise up some from without and some from within the church and, you know, and around the church. So what do we do? And so Peter continues in this avenue. And as we read verses 3 through 10, I want us to look at things that we can learn from these verses. There's four things. But then I want us to look at some of the implications because they have such great encouragement when we can be discouraged because of people that distort God's word. Because really, the thing that we need to be concerned about is these false teachers are really what create disunity because it gets us away from who God is. And we don't see God. We don't talk about God. We don't look at God's promises, we don't understand him because the false teachers get us away from all of that. They get us away from Christ. They get us away from the gospel. We get us, they get us away from what really brings people to God and changes lives for eternity. We forget who Jesus is and we forget what Jesus has done. It's amazing how False teachers get us away from all of those things. And here's the real crux. Because when we don't look at the false teachers correctly, we can also get very discouraged and we can become so judgmental. Rather than allowing God's word to judge, we can focus on false teachers to the point where we forget who God is, where we forget the gospel, where we forget, we can get so fixated. And so I am, it was such a blessing as everybody has been asking a lot of these questions. Well, here is God's answer. So pray with me as we read these verse and ask the Holy Spirit to do his work and to instruct us in God's own understanding as we read his word. Lord, this time is about you. It's about glorifying your word, your word that is truth. Lord, you have told us that you, the Holy Spirit, will instruct us, will encourage us, will help us to see. Lord, I just pray that as we draw near to your word, I pray that we wouldn't draw near just with our ears, but with our mind and with our hearts. Draw us ever closer and help us to boldly come to you. And Lord, whatever is keeping us away, whatever distraction, whatever sin that we need to confess, I pray that we do that in our hearts and that we be encouraged by your words this morning. Not because everything is easy, but because, Lord, you are good 
Your word is true, and it is forever faithful. So, Lord, thank, thank you for never changing and always being faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Peter continues in, in his instruction, he's reminding the church of these things that, that focus on these false teachers. And he gets to verse 3. And in this section, in verse 3 through 10, listen to his word as we speak to God's faithfulness. And in their greed, talking about false teachers, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy gloomy darkness to be kept under judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but perceived Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and he saw and what he saw and heard. Then, do you just notice all the ifs? If, 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 and verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust and defiling passions and despise authority. Do you see the reminder of Peter here? Peter is reminding them, Look at what has happened in the past. This is one of those great if and then statements. If this happened, then this will happen. He gives us a series of ifs. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. If these things happen, then this will be true. You know, it's like one of those things. If you jump off out of a tree, then you'll figure out what gravity is, right? I have done that a few times. My favorite was when I lived in Alaska because we could jump off the roofs into the snow because it would snow like six to eight feet and we'd just jump off. I found out a lot of ifs and a lot of thens. I found out what happens when you touch frozen pipes with wet hands. I, I watched people do it with their tongue, so I never did it. I didn't ever fall prey to that, but other kids did on the, sw- on the swing sets at school. I learned a lot of if-thens growing up. We teach our kids a lot of if-thens growing up. I learned what happened when I told my mom I didn't like her attitude. <laughs> if you do this, then this will happen. So I learned a lot, but don't miss what God is telling us here. Number one, one of the things here is is that as we look at, and I want you to, the whole point of this is that you might see the faithfulness of God. 
What do we do with all these false teachers who are utterly destroying God's word? They're making a mockery of who God really is. They're making a mockery of our Savior. What do we do with all of this? But look what God says. There's lessons to be learned here. What do we learn? God will judge, verse 4, those who commit wickedness. God will judge. Literally, he's saying, if God locked fallen angels in hell in chains, the chains of darkness, then God will like, likewise judge those who commit wickedness. If God did that with the angels, then what's, that was his plan from the beginning. If he judged wickedness accordingly, then he's going to do the same thing. We don't have to concern ourselves about the fact that, well, why are all these people doing this and da-da-da-da? We miss the point of if they do this, then God will and is going to respond. Look at the second thing, verse 5. God will judge those who harden their hearts against them. If they focus and they harden their hearts, they don't listen to God, they listen to themselves, they listen to others, they listen to false teachers. If God destroyed by the flood, the entire world, except Noah's family, then God will likewise judge those who's hardened their hearts. Literally, do you know the word ungodly is an amazing word? This word here suggests that they, the Greek word suggests they had no time for God, that everything they did was against his law, against his will. It's basically describing a world filled with violence, sexual perversion, liberalism, uh, uh, just liberal, basically liberating themselves to do whatever they want, and hatred. And yet, if we think about Noah and his society, it was probably more advanced than we realize. In many ways, probably more advanced than our own. They had no time for God. That's what it means to be ungodly. People who have hardened their hearts who have no time for God. God will judge them. God will judge all those who give themselves over to living ungodly lives. Look at verse 6. If God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah... Now, I've walked through all of the salt fields by the Dead Sea. It's amazing. Salt field after salt field after salt field after salt field, and there's bones everywhere. Things go there to die. No one goes there to live. It's amazing. As I, we, we, we hiked all over at the base of, of Masada, and there was nothing living. Lots of dead bones. Lots of salt. The Dead Sea was quite amazing. But there is nothing there. Still to this day, where Sodom and Gomorrah exist, existed, there's nothing alive. If God destroyed those cities by fire and brimstone, then God will likewise judge all who give themselves over to living ungodly lives, living in sensuality and perversion. God will take care of it. That's what he's saying. If this, then I'm going to, God says. Number four, this is great. Verse nine, God will keep his people righteous. God will keep us. Did you see that in verse 9? Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. 
Literally, God's talking about He will rescue you and keep you for those who are unrighteous. You're like, well, how do I deal with all this false teaching? How do I deal with people who are distracting me from God? God knows how to keep you. Do you notice all of this shows God's faithfulness? God, if all of these things happen, God will. There's no might. There's no, like, worry. It is a foregone conclusion from the beginning of time, he says. It says in verse 3, from long ago, it is not idle. Their condemnation. It started from eternity past. God already had a plan. He will take care of the ungodly. That's quite an amazing thing. The, the cool thing is, is that he also will keep you from falling. Isn't that amazing? He keeps his, that which he makes righteous, he keeps righteous. This is another instance where we see that when you get saved, when God saves you, you do not lose your salvation. This is God's faithfulness. Think about this. If ancient history teaches us anything, let it be this. God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Think about everything that we've seen here. All the illustrations. There's judgment in all of these illustrations and there's deliverance in all of these illustrations. God knows how to judge and he knows how to rescue. Let us consider both of these things. Both of the statements These are really important. Peter is saying that God is able to keep the righteous righteous even when they are living in the most unrighteous environment. But this is a problem today that Christians today are becoming too much like the Pharisees of old. They wrongly suppose that holiness is measured in terms of of distance they put between themselves and sinners. They're like, look how holy I am. I'm this far away from the culture. That makes me more holy. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible speaks of holiness more in terms of our loss of affection for the world and its sinful lusts. It's different, subtle, but major difference. Our love for the world. The more we lose the love for the world, the more that we are in love with the Lord. It's not so much that we're just supposed to isolate ourselves from the world. It's more important that our love of the world changes. Peter is also saying that the wicked are under punishment. Do you understand that the wicked and sinful deeds of the false teachers, they are already under punishment. We don't have to wait for them to be punished. They're under punishment. It's just a matter of time before the full weight of their punishment is realized. That's what these verses are saying. Here's the thing. 
what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said this, and this is what God is telling us in Hebrews 9, 27, is that it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. So this is the thing. Peter is not teaching us that the judgment of the wicked at the flood or at Sodom is a final judgment. He's teaching, teaching that this temporal judgment demonstrated at the flood and at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is a prototype of a final judgment that is still yet to come. There's more. God is faithful. And here are some important things for you to think about when we look at what Peter is telling us here and what God is telling us about false teachers and about us. And here's, these are really important. And Peter is making it clear that the events of the Old Testament are relevant and applicable to us today. He never used any of these words in our text that said it, it, that this is not true. Actually, he's saying, if God really did this, then this is going to happen. These are true statements from Peter about history. And this is the neat thing. The judgment of the ancient world of Noah's day and of Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day is an example for men who live today. It's an illustration of, of what God did both to judge and to rescue, that what he did then in truth, in history, he will do today and will continue to do when he returns. It, it serves as both judgment and divine rescue. You know, it's amazing, but you think that maybe Peter, this section right here, I think that Peter may have heard it somewhere else. This exact, let's listen to what Jesus said in Jesus' words in Luke 17, verse 26 through 30. It sounds very familiar. And it says in verse 26, it says, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were even given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as it happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Do you see the, the historicity here? The fact what Jesus is saying? This is exactly what Peter was saying. Peter wants us to understand that this pattern that God gave us in the Old Testament is still being played out today. Biblical history is more than just history alone. Think about this. Because God does not change. God does not change. His character and His dealing with men during that time, during today, and in the future does not change. The way that God has dealt with sinners and saints in ancient times becomes a pattern for the way in which he deals with men throughout time and eternity. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians. Say, well, should we listen to the Old Testament? Yes, because it's a direct pattern to teach us. We cannot throw out the Old Testament. Do not trust anybody that says so. I am saved and I am a believer, I'm a Christian because of the Old Testament, not in spite of it. I think MacArthur said something like that at one point. <laughs> I think it was when he was talking to Ben Shapiro and also to Larry King live. But 1 Corinthians 10, listen to these words. Verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What cloud? When they left Egypt. The cloud that we've been talking about in Sunday school. They passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in a cloud and in a sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed, uh, that flowed them from them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, why is God telling us this? Well, look at verse 6. Now, these things took place as a warning or an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down and they eat and they drink and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. It didn't say as if or it was just something that might have happened. It says it did happen. We must not put Christ to the test, verse 9, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Now, listen to this. Let everyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also provides the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. God gives us the Old Testament. He gives us this history of the Old Testament to serve as an instruction to show us don't pursue these evil things. Don't make an idol of the things around you. But serve the Lord. The, the Old Testament is so important. The other thing that this text shows us is that, it, that the text should serve as a warning that a day of judgment is coming. Romans 1.18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. I like the word all there, right? There's no mistaking. What is God going to, God's going to deal with all or just partial? All. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what false teachers do. That's what these people do in their ungodly lives. They suppress the truth. God 
is serving this as a warning. One day, judgment is coming. Guys, we need to be, take this seriously. God is faithful. If he did those things in history, he's going to follow through with the rest of it. Romans 2, 4 through 8. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, says, Or do you presume on the, ri- the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, he says, he will render to each one according to his works. God will judge. I like what Ephesians 5, 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words today. False teachers are telling you, don't worry about it. God is love. He loves everybody. There is no judgment. Look at verse 6. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Even now, not only are the wicked facing divine judgment, but they also seek to deny it. I don't know about you, but none of us, especially when we were younger, maybe you do this even now, when you're caught, you know, either lying, stealing, or you're caught doing something you know you shouldn't do, you what? You hide it or you deny it. No, I didn't do that, right? I've been watching that all week. There's a certain politician, oh, I didn't really do that. I'm like, are you kidding me? But yeah, people deny everything. They say something, and then they deny it. That's what happened. We all know we're guilty. Even the world knows they're guilty, but they still find ways to deny it. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, Satan said, you surely shall not die, right? Satan confused them, used words to say, hey, you're really not going to die. Judgment isn't going to really come. That's what Satan was saying to Adam and Eve. They bought it hook, line, and sinker, and judgment came. Look at this, the good news for sinners. There is still time to repent and be saved from the wrath of God. Guys, you realize judgment is coming, but it hasn't fully come. If this doesn't grip you, I pray that it grips your heart today. Because think about this, what God is saying, if these things happen, this is going to happen. My judgment is coming. And guys, you don't want to be under the wrath of God. We don't want people to be under the wrath of God. It's one thing to be under the wrath of mom. It's another thing to be under the wrath of God. Right? It's like, it's a totally different thing. It's an eternal thing. It's an eternal hell of pain, agony, darkness. Guys, there's still time. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, 
For he says, in a favorable time, in a favorable time, I can't say that word, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is that time, he says. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. We don't say untruths. We don't preach just part of the Bible. We don't hide the truth. We proclaim everything so everybody has no obstacle in hearing the good news of what God has done. He has saved you from the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. When he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again and conquered death, he provided the sacrifice that we need to appease the wrath of God. Today is the day of salvation. There's time. There's people that you're going to talk to today that are going to go to hell. There's still time to tell that God died for them, to give them the gospel, the real good news. Not that just God loves them, but that they have a sin issue and God died for it. He provided a way. For the wages of sin is death, but, right there, but the free gift of God is eternal life through good works? No. Through Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Just go and tell them. You want to change church? Don't get caught up in all the new fads. Don't get caught up in all the new things. Focus on what God has done faithfully for you in the gospel. And there's still time to bring people to peace, to that river glorious, that peace and that repentance and that joy that we can have through Christ Jesus our Lord. Peace from the wrath of God. Peace that the world will never have. You know, they only see it if we're focused on it. If we're focused on everything else, we're going to be distracting. If we focus on everything else that this world has to offer, if we focus on all the false teachers and all the fads that grew their large churches, we're going to put obstacles in their way. Here's another good news. Whoops, I hit the wrong button. Sorry. The good news for Christians, God will rescue us from temptation. Remember that verse we read, 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation has overtaken you, that which is common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation that he has provided, the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Look at verse 9 in, in 2 Peter again. Chapter 2, what does it say? Then... The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials. 
No matter what we're living in right now, no matter how bad government is, no matter how bad things are in our world, God will rescue his people, the righteous, the godly. Did you see this? It doesn't depend on us to stay clean. It doesn't depend on us to be righteous. It doesn't depend on us to, be, to make us saved. God does the work. First Thessalonians 1.10, at the very end of verse 10, says, Jesus, he says in verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God delivers us. God will deliver the righteous. Second Timothy 4.18, God says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into this heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever. Do you see God's faithfulness in this passage? If all of, all of these things fell apart on Abraham, all of these things fell apart when the angels sinned, but God took care of it. If God did all that and he saved his people, Noah included all of them, how much more will he not save us? Here's the last thing. Did you notice? There's a task for the righteous. There's a task for God's people. Practice righteousness and proclaim the gospel. In our text in verse 5, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Genesis chapter 19, verse 9, Lot practiced righteousness. Abraham practiced righteousness. Do you notice there's a difference between practice and being made right? Practicing righteousness doesn't make us right. It's what we do because of our love for the Lord, not the result. It doesn't result in our salvation, but because of our salvation, we love God and we practice righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What account has Christ with Baal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Are we going to go to the same place? Or do we have the same goals? Do you understand what it means to be yoked to? It's why are we putting a a, a harness on ourselves with somebody who's going to hell and we're trying to please God and enjoy heaven? How is that going to be possible? Do you think that's going to create problems? Yeah. Remember Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for his burden is easy and it is light. You say, well, why is it I feel so heavy in the world? You have to ask yourself, who are you, you yoked to? 
Why do I feel so burdened? Why am I burdened down in the things of life? Why they got me so down? Ask yourself, what have you hitched yourself to? Because here's the thing. The unrighteous are going this way. God's righteous are going this way. And if you're hitched together, what does that do? Man, that is a hard, pulling, painful experience. I don't know if you've ever tried to pull in two different directions while you're doing a job. Have you ever worked a job and two different people are doing the two opposite things? It doesn't go anywhere, does it, Don? <laughs> Pipes don't get laid. Uh, the, the, the oil doesn't get processed. Farms don't get, you know, you, the, the feed doesn't get picked up out of the fields. Right? You can't do two different things. Nothing happens. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When we stop being salty and trying to to preserve the world through God's righteousness and sharing the gospel, look what happened. When, When we've lost our saltiness, all we're good for is to be trampled on. There are a lot of believers that feel like they're just being trampled by the world. And I have a feeling it might be partially because we have lost our saltiness. God is faithful. God is faithful if we proclaim the gospel. How do we respond to these false teachers? Realize that God is faithful. God will take care of it. We, what did Noah do when everything went went haywire in his day. Nobody followed God. Things were horrible. What did he do? He proclaimed righteousness. What should we do when it goes haywire? Should we go out and preach? He's a false teacher. He's a false teacher. He's a false teacher. What should we do? Do we go out and point out every false teacher? We proclaim God's righteousness. By the way, in Jude... He says, contend for the faith. What does Hebrews chapter 12 tell us? Jesus is the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. The gospel is our faith. Don't get so focused on the world around you that you forget not only to practice righteousness, but to proclaim the gospel. You are the light of the world, he says in verse 14, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. In verse 16, he says, let your light shine bright. If you're practicing righteousness, they will see God's righteousness. It's not yours. God will reflect it in your life so that they may see your good works and Glorify you? Glorify God who is in heaven. He's not the God of an idol that's here on earth. He's the God who died for our sins, 
who rose again and is seated at the right-hand throne of God. Christ, who has all authority that has been given to him through the Father in heaven. Guys, you see, what do we do with false teachers? God is faithful. God is a faithful judge, and he will judge. God is faithful to hold us in his righteousness, to protect his believers. That's why Paul preached, hey, if they preach Christ, I'm not going to worry about it, but I'm going to keep proclaiming God's truth. Read Philippians. I'm not going to just sit here and talk bad about people all day long. I am going to tell people. When people say, well, I love this and I love this, I'm going to ask them about the gospel. I'm going to proclaim God's righteousness. I'm going to practice God's righteousness, and I'm going to proclaim the gospel. What do we need to do? in the world we live in, practice righteousness and proclaim Christ, the gospel. Will you do that with me? I ask you that. We need to be gospel proclaimers. Now, it's easier if you're practicing righteousness because they can see it. But if you're practicing unrighteousness, it's really hard to get past all the unrighteousness that they might see Christ. They say, that's interesting. You say this, but you do this, right? Every once in a while, my kids catch me on that. (laughs) They say, well, Dad, you're telling me to do this, but you do that. Right? It doesn't work. We rely on God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. You are a faithful judge. You are a holy judge. You are a righteous judge. You will judge all men, all people, according to your righteousness, your holiness. Not according to our good works, because there is none of us that have good works that are good. 